Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a hot minute since I've put out a new episode, and I apologize for the past few weeks' delay, but since I've returned to graduate school, it has been kind of hard to juggle all of my responsibilities, and this one fell by the wayside. But I'm glad to be back, and I'm thankful to have this opportunity to study the Bible with you. So it's just me today, and I wanted to study Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33. I happened to use that scripture in a sermon about a month ago, and I really wanted to kind of dig in deeper than what I had time for in that sermon. So I took that opportunity and uh, decided to do some study myself on an expository look at Matthew 10, verse 26 through 33, and it really surprised me. So I decided to uh, share it with you. So it's just us two today, and uh, you could have a notebook handy if you want. You could have your Bible open to Matthew 10, 26 through 33, and we'll just jump into those scriptures and uh, consider what the message has to say. I've been meaning to share this with you for a while now, but I've waited to have the opportunity to preach this as a sermon at my home congregation, Valley Parkway. That's right, Valley Parkway. It used to be Denton County Church of Christ, but we've changed the name to Valley Parkway because our new building is on the corner of Valley Parkway and Corporate Drive. So uh, with that in mind, we changed the name to Valley Parkway Church of Christ. Anyway, so I was finally able to preach this as a shortened version of the sermon. And if anybody's a member of that congregation and they're listening to this, well, you get the full version of it. And uh, if you're not a member of that congregation, then I hope that you find it a blessing to you in your Bible study. So maybe as a way to introduce the thoughts of Matthew 10, verse 26 through 33, I'd like to share an anecdote from when I was a child. Uh, When I was a kid, I had a dreadful fear of the dark. Now, between the ages of 7 and 11, I lived with uh, our family. Rather, our family lived in an old farmhouse in southern Indiana. And me and my brother shared a room upstairs. And so, you know, there was a lot of things about that experience that I loved, but one of the things that I hated was going up there after dark. It was just incredibly, incredibly black. There was no light upstairs. And so if I ever had to take a pile of laundry or, you know, every day it was uh, another time to go to bed at night. And it seemed like every day I kind of thought that was going to be it. And then every night there was this fear of just going upstairs. And, uh, you know, surprise, surprise, I had to go back up again. Anyway, it felt like a death sentence, and I could sense my coming demise, as it were. And, you know, that was an irrational, unexplainable fear that I had at the time. And yet, it was natural, and it was something that I think maybe we all have had at one time or another, this common experience of fear. Now, leaving that example behind, uh, let's think about in the New Testament the word fear. It comes from the word phobio, and it's used over 140 times in the New Testament. It's where we get the word phobia from, right? So if you're an arachnophobic, you're afraid of spiders. Uh, So phobio, fear. And today we're going to consider a set of scriptures that it's used. That's in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33. So I hope you have a Bible handy or that you're willing to set up a framework with me of what the scripture's about. Maybe if you, you're driving right now or you're not able to have your Bible open, then just do some, some mental organization with me as we divide 
Matthew 10, 26-33, into three different sections. The first one is verse 26 and 27. And I'd like to think about this as a, a subject heading, Have no fear, preach the kingdom. So in Matthew 10, 26, the Bible says, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. You know, as I study the Bible, I like to ask questions. And so I ask questions after reading just a couple set of scriptures like that or in other times as well. But here when I read, I ask, what's going on? And who's speaking? And who's the audience? And, and about that fear when it says, so have no fear of them, who, who is that talking about? And why would the audience potentially fear them, whoever they are? And I would suggest that maybe if we back up, we'll understand perfectly what's going on here. So Matthew 10, if we rewind ourselves a little bit and kind of go back uh, we would find that this is an exciting time in the ministry of Jesus. It's one of the limited commissions as compared to the, the great commission in Matthew 28. You know, in Matthew 28, he said, go to all the world, right? Well, in, in Matthew 10, we have one of these limited commissions where it's kind of like a test drive. And it's a test drive for how Jesus' kingdom is going to run. So he's, he tells his 12 apostles that they're going to preach to the lost sheep of Israel in verse 5 and 6. And in verse 7, he tells them they have this specific theme. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so imagine, if you will, that the, the apostles are getting this assignment. You're going to go to the lost sheep of Israel. You're going to tell them the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's an exciting time. Uh, imagine that they're going to get to go to these synagogues and maybe they'll... You know, maybe uh, figuratively, you know, they're going to put up a banner like we would at gospel meetings sometimes. And the banner is going to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Wow, this this is exciting because it's exactly what the Jews have been waiting for, a Messiah. And not only that, but Jesus gave them authority. In verse 8, they were able to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. So, man, they they are just giddy with excitement. They have the truth. They have the authority. And so, no doubt for them was going to be this exciting time where everybody was going to rally around Jesus. However, Jesus knew the response to the preaching of the gospel, and so he continues in Matthew 10 uh, during this limited commission with this exhortation, if you will, for his followers. He says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. What in the world's going on here? I thought they were excited about going out. This is going to be a special, wonderful time of growth. And yet Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be wise as serpents. Why they need to be as wise as serpents? They had miraculous abilities. They had the truth. But here's the reality of the reaction to the gospel being preached. Sometimes we can get confused by the way people respond to the Bible and respond to the gospel. And I'm going to call that the reality of reaction. You know, we assume that everyone will listen and that those who don't listen or don't agree, they'll just simply mumble, grumble, and generally tolerate the sil in, in silence what we're saying. But that was not true for them, and it's not true today. 
people don't just disagree in silence. I want you to think about Jesus' continuing thoughts. He gives four precautions on the reality of reaction. He says in verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. In verse 18, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Verse 21, Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and a father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. Verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. So what I want you to do is is keep this in context with me. This is what will happen to the apostles during the limited commission, and it continued to happen in the book of Acts during their lifetime. But the application, you know, we can take this and apply it. It's a warning for us. And there's other scriptures as well that suggest the same thing, and that is when we preach the gospel, there will be those who not only don't want to hear it, but they're going to have a negative and a forceful reaction. We'll call it the reality of reaction. Again, Matthew 10, verse 26 and 27. This is We're back in the scripture that we're kind of spending our time together on today. It says, so have no fear of them. Ah, the question is, who, who are they not to fear? They're not to fear the people that they preach to, right? Have no fear of the people that you preach to. Even though they were excited, they had the truth, they had authority, Jesus somehow knew that even though they had the truth, when they preached that truth, the reaction would cause them to be afraid. And so he tells them, so have no fear of them. Why not? Why not have a fear of them? Why not have fear of people's response? Why not fear the reality of reaction? And here's maybe the takeaway as I see it. Fear can cripple the gospel's effect. Jesus knew that fear would cripple their response, and he knew it can cripple our response too. In the same way that fear can lead to irrational assumptions, like an eight-year-old boy who thinks he's going to die when he takes laundry upstairs after dark, fear can make us somehow think we're not good enough to confess Christ before men. We're not smart enough. Uh, We don't know enough. We're not talented enough. Or fear can cause us to look at the people we're talking to and say, oh, you know what? They're not the right candidate. Or it's not worth my time. Right? But, But keep reading. What did Jesus say? He said, so have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. So here's the encouragement in context. In light of the coming onslaught, in light of the reality of reaction where people would not be positive, but rather would be negative and forceful, the apostles who would likely be intimidated were supposed to speak for Jesus anyway. And he tells them to speak out boldly regardless of how people would respond. So that makes me ask, what about me? You know, what about us? 
What about people alive today? Knowing that we too will face opposition, what should we do? And I would assert that it's as simple as what the scriptures say. What we hear in the dark, we should say in the light. And what we hear whispered, we should proclaim in the rooftops. And sometimes it's easy to forget that we have something that's worth shouting from the rooftops. When we look at others, you know, other groups that may believe in Jesus and may be Bible-believing, but they're not Bible-obeying, um, it's really easy to, to get intimidated or to think, well, what, what exactly do we have when we compare it to what they have? You know, they have a, a stadium with 10,000-plus people gathering together. Maybe they have a pastor who is so eloquent uh, that, that has gone to seminary and has this perceived credibility from all the years of study that they've done. Uh, a billion followers on Facebook, right? You know, uh, they, they post something on social media and it just goes viral instantly. Now, that's just one little slice of the people we might look at and say, wow, look at what they've got. We could look at other religions and see just the, the millions and billions of followers of, that, of those faiths or of the assurance of people who don't believe in God at all, who are so militant in their desire to debate and to be skeptical and to prove wrong. And we think, well, man, what do we have after all? And what I would suggest is for us to ask that question again and again and again. You need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, what do we have? What do we have that is going to give us that, oh, I guess, excited spirit to proclaim from the rooftops? Well, Jesus answers that question. In fact, he already answered it in Matthew 10, verse 7. He charged his followers to proclaim this gospel theme, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what I would suggest is that's what we need to be shouting from the rooftops, the kingdom of heaven is now. You see, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we see that even his followers changed the message. They changed it from the kingdom of heaven is at hand to the kingdom of heaven is here. In Acts 8, 12, 14, 22, 19, 8, 20, 25, and 28, verse 2, all these times Jesus' apostles were preaching after he resurrected, the kingdom of heaven is here. They proclaimed it from the rooftops, so to speak. And Jesus even explained that his kingdom uh, would come. He says in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here, or see there. Indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. And so after Jesus died and the church was established and the kingdom became a part of of the Christian identity, what we should be preaching from the rooftops, and what we need to be responding when we ask ourselves, what do we have that's better or different or more complete, wholesome from what others may have? The answer should obviously be, we have the kingdom. That's what we have, and that's what we can offer, the kingdom. Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Do you hear that? We were delivered out of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son of His love. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what I'm suggesting is our preaching, our sharing, our lifestyle, it's a confession of what Jesus can do for us that no one else can do. That's the kingdom. We're living in his kingdom right now. We are a part of his kingdom. And that mindset, that kingdom mindset, the speech we use, the clothing we wear, the work ethic we have, the integrity that we seek, the treatment of others in relationships, everything is based on kingdom living, right? Now, I'll tell you something. There's a lot of times that I feel like I'm so busy cleaning up other people's messes that I don't get to preach the kingdom as much as I'd like. You know, uh, somebody out there in the interwebs is uh, telling me how baptism isn't necessary for salvation. So here I am sweeping up after them and telling people how necessary baptism is. Or uh, Somebody talks about how you know they can worship God with their, their heart and their emotions whenever they uh, use instrumental music. And so there I am sweeping up after them to explain how the Bible teaches that we should uh, only sing whenever we gather together for worship. This is God's plan, acapella music. And uh, so here I am doing all this sweeping while they get to do all of the preaching of the good news of Jesus. But the problem is they don't follow through with the gospel's call. And so they're leading others in the good news to not obey the good news. And what I'm suggesting is that uh, what I need to do and what you need to do is preach the kingdom. Of course, that includes kingdom living and the responsibilities that we have to teach truth about salvation and teach truth about worship and kingdom living. But what is it all based on is what I'm, I guess, getting at. What's the, the point of all of this? Why do we do this? And I think the mindset that we have to have is, since Jesus delivered me out of darkness and into light, I will, and you can fill in the blank with whatever it is, because Jesus delivered me out of darkness and into light, I will emphasize baptism. Because Jesus delivered me out of darkness and into light, I will dress this way. I will act this way. I will speak this way. All of the things that we do in our lifestyle, all of the things that we believe about our faith, all of it is based on this kingdom living principle that I was delivered out of darkness and I was put into the kingdom of the Son of God, the kingdom of the Son of His love. It's the most powerful weapon we have. It's the only weapon we have. Listen, personally, we don't have anything worth sharing in the world to provide hope and peace for life beyond death. Yeah, my testimony or whatever you want to call it, your testimony, your good example, it can inspire people. It can offer hope for now. But Jesus' kingdom is what provides hope and peace for life beyond the grave. And that's what we have. That's what we're to be excited about. That's what we're shouting from the rooftops is that Jesus saves. To the uttermost, Jesus saves. So don't let others rob that and take your joy out of the gospel, but rather make that be the centerpiece of your message because if you're only telling people what they're not allowed to do without explaining what they have in Christ, that is a joyless, good newsless gospel, which I know is kind of an oxymoron, a good newsless gospel. Just ask yourself, if all I'm doing is telling people what they're not allowed to do, 
what makes me different from a Pharisee? What makes me different from anyone across the ages who tries to shackle others with law? Is there law in the New Testament? Absolutely. There is the law of liberty, the perfect law of Christ. But it's based on the kingdom principle that the kingdom of heaven is now and that Jesus saves to the uttermost. And it's such a mindset shift from here's this checklist things that you've got to do to I do this because Jesus delivered me out of darkness and into light. Well, that was kind of a a soapbox moment. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 through 33, it's such an important part of the message that we're not going to fear others right, based on the reality of reaction, but rather what we hear in darkness, we're going to shout it, or rather we're going to uh, bring it into the light. What we uh, hear whispered, we shout it from the rooftops. We proclaim it from the rooftops. So have that mindset, that mindset of faith over fear, that I'm going to tell others about the kingdom because Jesus took me out of darkness and delivered me, and it's by his blood that I'm saved. Now, that's where we're going to pause in the Bible study. And I want to invite you to come back next week to continue studying Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 through 33. And next week, we'll consider the second and third big points from this set of scriptures about fear and how we're going from fearful to fearless to becoming fearless confessors of Jesus Christ. So, until then, you can go to the website. You can look up all the resources that I have there, and they're all available for you to download and use absolutely free. Until then, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true About a judge by the name of Gideon, he was a man like me and you Well, Israel's in some trouble